Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Nina Purewalsh. She is the owner and founder of Pure Minds, as well as an international best-selling author. How are you doing this morning, Nina? Hi, Brad. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm doing very well. Thank you. It is my honor and my pleasure to have you here today and to learn a bit more about your story and your journey and share it with the Empowerography community. So thank you so much for taking the time to be here. I appreciate you. Well, I appreciate being here. So let's jump right in, Nina. As I mentioned, you are the founder and owner of Pure Minds. You are the co-author of an international bestseller, Let That Shit Go. How long ago did you found Pure Minds? So I founded Pure Minds in 2017. So okay. I'm on year five. Um, and Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's taken a while to get here, but I, it's been a dream ever since. I feel so grateful for doing what I love. Yes, as we were just speaking about off air before we hopped <laughs> exactly. on <onto> this call. <laughs> now, exactly. I know through previous conversation with you, Nina, that you started your journey into mindfulness and meditation quite a few years back. Had you ever explored or dabbled in mindfulness or meditation at all before that journey began for you? Well, I started practicing mindfulness and really ancient wisdom 25 years ago when I was 16. I actually just had an affinity towards it. And I realized how much both mindfulness and meditation, which I got into a few years later in my mid-20s, just grounded me and gave me so much perspective and so much peace, inner peace. So it's always been you know, a part of my life. It's always been a part of who I am. You don't hear of many 16-year-olds starting a journey like that. Yeah, it's uncommon. It's uncommon. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Now, did this journey begin as a result of some personal struggle? And if so, would you mind sharing or talking a little bit about that personal struggle? Yeah, and that's that's actually what inspired the journey to start practicing, you know, mindfulness meditation and, and ancient wisdom. I actually, not the greatest story, Rad, but I went through a pretty significant tragedy at 16. I unexpectedly lost my dad and my brother. It was quite the tragedy. I had a lot of PTSD, a lot of survivor's guilt. And I started searching for answers. You know, I had no choice but to kind of grow up a little faster. And I mean, life is awkward enough as a 16 year old, you know, girl trying to figure out and navigate high school. And then this happens. Mm. Right. So I started to kind of question, you know, what, what is life all about? What's my purpose in life? What's the meaning of life? And I found, you know, even though I, I had child psychologists and child psychiatrists, and I've had tons of therapy in my years, but I really got into my mom and I got into ancient wisdom and studying ancient wisdom. And it just, again, as I said, it was the one thing that I felt could give me those answers and right. ground me. And so it had always been, you know, it's like I had my career self, but, you know, parallel pathing is this passion of, you know, 
finding answers to some of life's biggest questions. And I found that through, you know, the art of meditation and, and mindfulness. That is, yeah. That, I mean, that's a hell of a lot for a 16 year old to, to take in and go with, as you said, at 16, you're trying to fit in with people at high in high school and just kind of, I mean, making friends in high school and you're trying to fit in and find your footing and find your place in, in that world. And, and then to deal with that on top of it, it's just mind blowing, but you had your mom who dove into this world with you. So that's, I mean, I'm sure that was helpful and great as well. Oh, she was my biggest inspiration. She just, got right onto that path and was just an incredible, she was just my hero, my best friend, you know, and I lost her uh, seven years ago as well. So it's been a tough tough journey. That was, you know, my second massive heartbreak was losing her because she was just my rock and my cheerleader. And she really inspired me. And a lot of why I do what I do today is, you know, just to continue her legacy because she wanted to bring, you know, mindfulness and meditation to the, to the workplace. Like she was way ahead of her time. And, you know, a lot of what I do is just in honor of her, but it was a lot as a, as a high school teen trying to navigate the world. And then, you know, this happens and yeah. I can be a little more vulnerable. It was, a, you know, it was a murder suicide. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. And so my, you know, even though I had a really great support network and tons of friends in high school, it just, I felt even more like I was being stared at, you know, you see those scenes in movies where the person's walking in the high school and everyone just turns. And yes. them. I just, yeah, that's what I felt like all the time. I mean, there was caution tape all around my house and detectives. And it was just a whole, it was in the paper every day for a week. Mm. So it was a lot, it was a lot to process. And, you know, I found that spirituality was kind of my way through at that time. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about what Pure Minds is all about then, Nina? Yes, definitely. So Pure Minds, as I said, I founded five years ago Mm -hmm. and it is a social enterprise. And what I do is I go into, you know, either communities or global organizations and I run workshops on, you know, mental wellness, mental health, and finding peace and happiness through mindfulness and meditation. And because I worked in the corporate sector, you know, even though that happened in high school, I still got my business degree somehow. (laughs) Went to business school, got my degree, had an amazing career in in sales and marketing, climbed the corporate ladder. I think I suppressed a lot. That's how I dealt with it. And I realized now I probably shouldn't have done that, but that's how (laughs) I was my way to survive. Yeah, for sure. Um, So I worked in the corporate sector for most of my career. And so, you know, I realized that, you know, there's so much about all of this wisdom and knowledge that is applicable to what we stress about in the corporate world. And so, you know, the mission of Pure Minds is just to help people, you know, navigate the the stress and the anxiety that comes up with really practical everyday solutions that are kind of rooted in mindfulness. So that's essentially what Pure Minds does. I have my book as well, and I'm doing some really cool stuff with kids and kids meditations and a kids podcast. But the essence of Pure Minds is to really help people through adversity, you know, find a little calm in the chaos. (laughs) And that you definitely did. Wow, that's heartbreaking, what you have been through, but you have managed to transcend all of that and and come out the other side much stronger and better for it and now you're giving back and helping people through your experiences i mean i hope so and you know every time i help someone it's like i learn 
Yeah. And I help myself, you know, it's such a cyclical thing. And so, but yeah, I mean, you know, in high school as a teenager, I kind of made a choice to either go down the rabbit hole or pick myself up and pick up the pieces and, and take control of my life. And so I just wanted to let people know that, you know, that through adversity, there is hope and there is light and you can find your purpose. You can do what you love, you can turn your life around. And that's kind of the underlying objective of it all as well. But at that young age, to be able to have the mental capacity and the wherewithal to sit there and and go through that in your head and say, okay, I can either go this way and have it turn out even worse, or I can go this way and start picking up the pieces and carrying on. I mean, I think that is absolutely incredible. And that is a huge testament, I think, as to your character and who you are as a human being. Oh, thank you so much, Brad. I really appreciate that. And it's funny because it's actually a pinpoint moment when I was, I went to a teen support group and all the teens at the time had gone through something traumatic. And it was the first time I felt safe in a space because I was like, oh my gosh, you saw your mom pass away, you know, yeah. drunk driver and everyone had gone through something and I'd say half the teens were going down the rabbit hole understandably so and the other half were trying to pick up the pieces and I was kind of sitting in the middle there and I remember thinking you know no one is going to make me go to university and make me have a career and this has to come from me and it's funny because that group is called the season center very Ontario and now 25% of my online course I donate back to them because they just saved me you know that is incredible thanks it's great to come full circle with it yet another thing that is a huge testament as to who you are as a human and and your character and I think that's wonderful and having that support group I mean support groups are great in the way that because you know people when they go through things like that or or struggle with other things and they're scared to talk about it because i mean i'm sure at that time people think that oh man i'm the only one going through this and i'm scared to talk about it because what if i get these looks or what if i get judged or these support groups i think give people permission to be able and courage to be able to stand up and share their stories because they hear and see other people that have gone through similar things i mean no one has ever gone through the exact same thing but they've gone through similar struggles so it, it it's almost like it gives you permission when you're part of groups like that Exactly. It's like suddenly you're on the even playing field. You're not yeah. the, and, and I'm not calling anyone this name by any means, but I felt like the weird girl in high school yeah. whose dad did this big thing. And, and, you know, suddenly in that room, it's like, okay, everyone inherently understands me and gets me. And there was this unspoken bond. So it definitely, it was, I mean, even though I had child psychologists and psychiatrists, like that stuff at the time, I didn't, I don't feel like talking about it at two o'clock in the afternoon yeah. in, with someone just sitting across from me in a suit, you know, so that's yeah. I, that was really healing for me for sure. So Nina, how have all these, all of these experiences helped shape the Nina you are today, both personally and professionally, do you think? Oh gosh, that's such a big question. And I, I think at the core of it, it has made me really appreciate life. And we were talking about this a bit off air uh, before the interview, but just really ask myself, you know, if you were to go tomorrow, because, you know, my brother was 11, my dad was 44, my mom was 61. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. And that was my whole family, right? So I think the big thing that has shifted for me is I really try to live from that space. Like if you're going to go tomorrow, you know, what would you be doing with your life? And it took me a while to get here because obviously I established myself and whatnot, but 
I think in my heart of hearts, it's like, you know, those questions, should we book the vacation or should we not? Or, you know, should I leave corporate to start my own business? And should I, and it's like, yeah, why, yeah. why not? Yes. You, know, you could go tomorrow. So I think fundamentally, I mean, there's so many other things that help influence, you know, why I do what I do and whatnot. But I think fundamentally, it's made me realize that tomorrow's not guaranteed. And so we have to just sit and do what we love day in and day out and really ask ourselves, are we doing what we love? Because, you know, you don't want to get to a place where like, I have one more year left, or I have, I'm about to retire, and I'm looking back and realizing I never did what I love, you know, so just living life in the moment is fundamentally what it has taught me. You know, it's funny that you say that about, oh, you know, I've got one more year and I can retire people people so look forward to retirement it's like why are you it's waiting almost like, yeah like and i read an article a while back about some similar to that it's like why do people wait to say well when i retire i can do all this traveling why the fuck don't you do the traveling now why do you have yeah. to wait till you retire to do it who says you have to wait like, exactly it's yeah. it's ridiculous and and thinking about your situation and it makes me kind of sad not yours in particular but in general it makes me kind of sad that people wait till or don't realize sometimes until something tragic happens or something horrible happens in their lives to to kind of wake up and say okay, I'm changing my fucking life. This is it. I've got to start living differently. Why can't yeah. we as humans, and I know part of the reason is fear. And so there's a lot of things that play here, but why can't we just live, start living that way before something tragic happens? It shouldn't take something like that to happen in someone's life before they wake up and realize, oh shit, I think I better change the way I'm doing things. I'm going to do these things I've always wanted to do. I'm going to start that business. I'm going to take that trip around the world. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. That, you know exactly and i think that's the ultimate gift if you can yeah. not have to learn the lesson through yes. something tragic and just automatically you know by observing you know what what's around you and the impact and that's the ultimate gift is to just yeah. realize that you know but i do think the silver linings in you know these big life tragedies and these big aha moments or these big you know um unfortunate circumstances that happen in life they are most often you hear that that has to happen yeah for the sh the shift to happen because it's just it fundamentally you know creates a change in you and the way you think and it's easy in you know looking outside and to be like oh yeah you know i'll make that change but it, yeah. when you're really jolted and shaken i think that's when you know the change happens and that's where i look back and think as much tragedy as, as i've gone through I have moments where I yeah, can be almost great, grateful for it, right? Yeah. It pushed me on this path. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, look at the current situation we've been in for the past two years, right? That has shifted a lot of people's way of thinking. It's it's created this massive global awakening almost. And people are like, wait a minute. We don't have to fucking live the way we've been living for the yeah. past X amount of years. Look at how much the world has changed and what people have been able to accomplish. And of course, this is not to take away from the tragedy, the loss financially, personally, all of that stuff, because let's be honest, it has been a horrible two years for a lot of people. But mm -hmm. again, like you said, if we look at the silver lining in it, you can shift your perspective and change things. Right. Right. And there's the great resignation happening, right? Because yeah. people are realizing maybe there is more, maybe I want something different, or yes. maybe I do want to pursue that side hustle. And that all of this quiet space and lockdown yeah. has given people the opportunity to reflect. And again, there are there are silver linings of the, the last two years of challenge. And I think that's one of them. For sure. For sure. 
So Nina, having left the corporate world behind, you've now stepped back into that world once again, but not as an employee in that world, but in quite a different role now. How does that feel for you being back in that world and in the capacity you've returned in to conduct mindfulness and meditation workshops within that environment? I absolutely love it. Like I I feel like I'm exactly where I meant to be because all those years I worked corporate, I liked it. I liked working in marketing. I, you know, I I was fortunate enough to go to Thailand and Africa for commercial shoots. And I loved, you know, I loved work, but I felt there was something missing. And I I never knew how to combine, you know, that spiritual side of me. I mean, I was always that person with quotes all over my, you know, (laughs) positivity. and, And so, you know, the timing of it all, companies are really focused on on mental health right now. And because of my experience, I don't regret a minute of working in corporate because it's really helped me understand, you know, my clients, because I know what it's like to be stressed over a PL or, you know, pushing bottom line or a brand plan or, you know, how hard customers can be. I've worked in sales, I've worked in marketing, I've worked in category management. And so when I go into these companies now, when I talk about mindfulness and meditation, it's at a very practical level. Yeah. from an angle that they, you know, a language that they they speak. So I kind of feel like it's, for me, it's the perfect fucking mix of, you know, <laughs> where I came from and, and where I want to be. And I don't know if you're, you're aware of this, but I left corporate and took a year sabbatical and lived in an ashram. Yes. Um, yeah. So we might get to that, but, you know, a lot of my clients were actually my colleagues in 2010 when I left. And at the time, it's like, there's an economic crisis going on. What are you doing? Nobody was talking about mindfulness meditation in 2010. And so, but now a decade later, you know, at the time I felt I'm like, I, I'm crazy for doing this, but I, there was a calling, right? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, now it's come full circle and they're like, oh my gosh, can you come in and, you know, help nah. us? move through all this. So it's just, it's beautiful. So I absolutely love it. I feel it like it's so fulfilling. You know, I want to help people at the end of the day. I mean, do I believe in love and stand for everything this big global corporation stand for? Maybe not, but at the end of the day, they're good people and they just, they need help. Over 95% of America is stressed at work right now. One in four people deal with mental health challenges the pandemic, the isolation, the fatigue. I mean, there's so much going on right now, the blurred lines between work and home. And so to be able to talk and give some practical solutions, it's just the most fulfilling thing. So do you ever wonder or think, hey, maybe if there was something like what I'm doing right now in the corporate world around back then, maybe things might've been different. Do you ever think about that? I don't because I think everything has a time and place, but yeah, definitely. I mean, in in hindsight, in theory, and and even in school, forget corporate, like the second chapter of our book, you know, is called self-love, what you didn't learn in middle school and probably should have, (laughs) you know, so forget the corporate world dating back to like, you know, our early education. I mean, it's great to learn about, it's important to learn about all the curriculum that we have, but Nobody teaches us subtle skills in the 80s and 90s. Nobody taught us how to love ourselves. Nobody yeah. taught us how to step into our authentic self. Nobody taught us that emotion was okay. And, you know, that's why they're in corporate. There's so many walls up. You know, that's another one of my objectives is I work every time I do a workshop, I typically work with the leader, you know, a leader in the organization. And I tell them, if you're vulnerable, yeah, your team will be vulnerable. If you break down the walls and talk about your mental health or the challenges you've had in the last year, because there's a lot of conformity that happens or fear around, you know, admitting to all of this stuff. So I think more and more companies, it's just, 
back, I, I think even 10 years ago, no one was really talking that much about the personalized, but now everyone's on Zoom and you can see people's dogs and kids in the back. Yeah. And the, you know, there's just that, I think there's almost permission now and with mental health being such a priority and people are saying it's going to be the next pandemic is in mental health. You know, I think it's the timing is, is right at the moment, but sure. I mean, if it was implemented years ago, we would be a lot less stressed out, I think, as a society. Well, I mean, the whole school thing, that could be an entire other podcast episode because let's be honest, the school system is severely broken. Our children aren't learning life skills and coping skills. And like, as far as I'm concerned, they're learning to memorize shit. That's it. They're, they're not being taught properly. They're not being taught things that they can use in life. Some of them, yes, I won't say everything they're being taught is useless, but I think that if there was a shift in the curriculum for our children today, these kids would come out out of school much more well-rounded and I don't want to say smarter, but just a lot more street knowledge smart. that, yeah, street smarts. That's, that's it. I mean, teach these kids about mindfulness and meditation and teach them about how to manage money and shit like that, like stuff they can mm-hmm. actually use in life. Mm-hmm. The practical stuff, yeah. right? Because even, even in university, I'm like, why am I studying, you know, calculus and all these like economic, again, like, you know, I, I say maybe 10% of my degree was used in a practical working world but yeah i mean now you hear about you know harvard and these big universities having courses on happiness now they're bringing yoga and meditation to schools it's another project you know i'm working on with a kids company about i've got 40 meditations for kids reported so you know there's a need and i think finally people are are recognizing it because the youth i know in canada i mean anxiety depression's on the rise i hate to say it but the the youth suicide rates have doubled in canada So, you know, youth is also another, you know, even though I do all this work for companies, I've really been wanting to impact the youth somehow as well, because they're impressionable and it just breaks my heart. You know, when I was there, I was a youth that yeah, had mental exactly. health issues that I did never got taken care of until my mid thirties. Nobody yeah. talked about seeing therapists and as commonly as they do now. Right. So it's just such an important element that I think finally is coming to surface. Well, again, this could be an entirely other episode, but the fact that mental health is so prevalent, but it's still, I think, looked at as a dirty secret and it gets swept under the rug. It's not talked about as much as it should be. It's starting now. There's starting to be a shift there, but we still have a hell of a long way to go with it. We have a long way to go to break down the stigma around it. Definitely. That's a big one. And that's why, you know, with work corporate workplaces like that's what I really try to do is say you know you're not alone and I have them do exercises and activities and share journaling exercises and you know sometimes it just takes that one executive to be like I have been really struggling I had a panic attack for the first time you know for someone to be like oh okay I'm not alone but there is that stigma and it's not okay because everybody everybody struggles and on top of struggling we shouldn't feel shame yeah, exactly. The struggle is hard enough yet, exactly. let alone adding something else, another factor into it as shame, right? Exactly. So how hard or easy was it then for you to pitch this to corporations? And how many companies are you working with now to spread this message and your work? You know, Brad, I kind of went into it. I gave myself a year in 2017. And I said, I'm going to start doing mindfulness and meditation workshops, and I'm going to see 
where things go. And if it doesn't work, I have corporate to fall back on. And so I started my company with two clients and I thought, okay, let's just see where things go from here. And I now have over 40 clients that I've worked with in four continents around the world, like, you know, clients like Unilever and Under Armour and Pepsi and Nestle, great, you know, like big global companies. And, you know, this is the spiritual, if you will, uh, side of me that I just, I try not to push, you know, I, it's like this gentle dance between, you know, I, of course I post on LinkedIn and I, you know, pitch clients on, you know, on LinkedIn as well and whatnot, but I, I let the universe kind of guide me. Exactly. And, you know, I just let that shit flow. (laughs) And, you know, I I read this quote and I posted it on Instagram because I loved it so much. And it said, write your passion in pen and your path in pencil. And I just loved it because I thought, yeah, we never know how the tides are going to change. And, 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 but as long as we stick to our passion and what we're meant to do, and it's interesting because in the last two years, I mean, it's not a good thing, but mental health has come to surface for organizations, yeah. you know? And so they are reaching out to me and and that's such a flip from you know where I was five years ago trying to reach out to companies and you know now they hear about me or someone has worked for one company that I've lectured in you know done a keynote and then they've moved to another company and they've hired me and a lot of my clients are actually as I said my ex-colleagues so I don't push it you know I think you know if they they want it they'll ask for it and I know it's not you know I'm also you know a very driven entrepreneur so it's not like I kind of sit around I'm like let me see I do my piece (laughs) and then I let go (laughs) you know it's that dance Amazing. Now, I read that your methods for your workshops take the potty mouth approach. How does that make you feel being dubbed with that title? And how well is it received in these corporate environments? And have you faced any resistance or been told to, you know, dial it back a little bit or tone it down a little bit? Yeah, it's funny. That came from, you know, I thought shockingly, you know, had no expectations was was on the front page of the financial post, which is one of, you know, Canada's biggest national papers (laughs) as a potty mouth, you know, (laughs) and I thought, Oh my God, my clients are going to, you know, love this one. But you know, I, there's so many layers to this. When I came from the ashram, you know, I struggled with that because I I worked in sales. And so I have a fucking potty mouth. Yeah. I just, it's part of who I am. And you know, at the ashram, it's like, I was this good Indian girl, you know, (laughs) and then I came back and it was this kind of combination, like my book, and I almost walked away from the book because I thought, what are people going to say about me talking about mindfulness and meditation and ancient wisdom with swearing, you know, but swearing, it's a form of expression. And I, we were really clear with our editors that, you know, we wanted to positively swear, you know, like your life is fucking amazing. Yeah. You know, isn't that a wonderful fucking opportunity? You know, just it's a form of expression. And so with my clients now, I always, you know, I have, I customize all my workshops. So I have calls with, you know, the exec or the team who's running it. And I, I always ask them that question. Like, are you comfortable with me saying the word shit? Even when I talk about the book, are you comfortable with me dropping a few F-bombs? And, you know, of course there's a whole range of spectrum. Some companies are totally cool with it. They actually like it. They think it's fun. They think it's going to break some barriers down. And some companies are reserved and, you know, it's like, well, we'll just refer to it as let that stuff go. I only had one company say that to me, <laughs> but everybody else is like, you know, they introduce me and they're like, this is a let that shit workshop and I think they need that right now it's almost yeah. like they need a little bit of like oh relax your shoulders we're all fucking human you know let's just have fun for an hour or two and listen to what she has to say about and I and again I don't I'm not using the f-bomb every other word like I might use it once or twice the entire workshop and 
you know, yeah. shit here and there. And I try to read the room or read the culture, but it's always done very respectfully. And I haven't had any pushback. In fact, they find it, they get a kick out of it. And they're all like, we all need to let shit go. Help us let shit go. You know, so it's great. <laughs> it, it, it works. Excellent. And that's what it's all about. Is it working and helping people? So at the end of the day, that's, that's what matters. Exactly. If, that, if that's my conduit then, and that's, and, and, you know, more importantly, that's who I am. Yeah. You know? Why so should you I've have stopped, to hide who you are? Exactly. I've stopped hiding. I did that all of my twenties yeah. and even into my thirties. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to show up as me and people could take it or leave it. There you go. Your, your vibe attracts your tribe. Your people will find you. Exactly. I'm very curious though. Does it seem to resonate more with women or men or is there really a, a difference? This is a fantastic question. And I've been, you know, trying to crack the nut on this one, Brad. So I don't know, maybe you can help me. (laughs) But uh, most of my clients, when I say clients, I say, you know, the executives that are endorsing me that bring me in to talk to their teams, I'd say 70 to 80% of them are, you know, people who identify as women. Okay. And I have been trying to figure out what is it with men in the corporate sector that is either resisting or not recognizing? Is it that they don't acknowledge their own emotions and go there? I have had some incredible men, don't get me wrong, that are presidents of companies and VPs who, you know, fully endorse me. But again, the majority and even the reactions I get on LinkedIn, you know, majority are women. And so I don't know if you have any. any I'm I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to say that I think that a big part of it is because you're a woman. So you are naturally going to resonate more with women. I think another piece of that is that women are just natural caregivers and naturally emotional and vulnerable. Mm -hmm. They're willing to get vulnerable where men aren't because we are conditioned as young boys to not show our emotions that that, why are you crying? You're stop crying. Stop being a little girl. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, so I think that's exactly why those two pieces of that puzzle right there. I think a big part of it is the fact that you're a woman and they don't feel that they can relate as well or be as vulnerable because you're a woman. And secondly, I think it's societal conditioning. So that's what I think. That's my personal two cents. Yeah. I think, I think you're bang on and I need to figure out how to, how to crack that nut because there are, you know, still majority male leaders, right? In organization. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, how do I let them know that this is just as important for them? And, you know, sometimes it's the males that come to you and say, I need this for my team, or this would be great yeah, for my wife. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> of course. Buddy, you gotta, you gotta do the work too. It's, it's there just hiding under this really thick surface, you know, yeah. that, that you don't want to crack. So I see it and it's something I want to, I want to work on and, and start to break through in the next year. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I've thought about this a lot too, because I come from a corporate background as well. And the culture within corporate where it's, and this is still quite prevalent, the old boys club. And I don't think you can break through that shit the way that, and I've had many conversations about this with many different women, the way that we eradicate or get rid of this mentality isn't going to happen until all of those old white dudes will say, move on and leave the companies and the new generation of leaders come in and that's where shit gets shaken up and changed, right. I think. Yeah, because I, I do one-on-ones for one of my clients. I do like mindful 
coaching sessions and I'm shocked at how many men I'm getting, but they're kind of middle-aged, right? They're yeah. just a little more, some of them already have therapists on the, you yeah. know, they're just so much more open than, yeah. you know, the old boys club, if you will. So yeah. you're right. Maybe it's just, that's not where it's going to crack. I have to kind of look at leaders who are a little bit younger and open yes. to the vulnerability. I think so. I'm, that's that, yeah. again, that's just my two cents and looking at the whole picture and thinking about what I've seen and, through the people I've talked to, I think that's, that's the way it's going to happen. And I think those are the reasons why it resonates more with women than men. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Thank you. Even no though problem. it's your podcast interview. I'm hey, no, that's <laughs> okay. Thank you for I, answering my question. Of course, no problem. <laughs> let's, let's talk a little bit about the book. Let that shit go. What was the inspiration behind writing that book? Well, the crazy thing is I had no intentions to write a book, Brad. I actually, I tell this story to a lot of high school kids as I, after the incident, obviously I, I failed high school English. And so, you know, yet I'm a best-selling author. So, you know, you just never know where life is going to take you. But Kate Petru, my co-author and I were doing workshops in downtown Toronto on mindfulness and, and meditation. And she had this fun idea to put swear words against it. So mindful as fuck and learn how to fucking meditate. And they totally went viral because suddenly these really difficult, challenging concepts were accessible because they were swearing with them, right? And we just tried to make it fun and still very rooted in mindfulness. I mean, I spent a year in an ashram, but just a little, you know, the way to navigate in seemed a little easier for people. And so HarperCollins, our publisher caught wind of the workshops we were doing. And they said, we love how you're pitching mindfulness and meditation. Would you be willing to turn your workshops into a book? And the rest is history, Brad. They gave us nine weeks to write the book. So yeah, it was really intense, but it was also this incredible process of the book is a love letter really to the world and, and, and to ourselves. And, you know, even though, you know, we only had nine weeks to write it, I really truly feel like it's been 20 years of processing ancient wisdom and knowledge and internalizing it and healing from it. And so the, it's almost like the content just came through me. You know, I, I don't know if I could write another book because that was everything I had in me that I've been contemplating for the last two years came out and, and let that shit go. And it was just this beautiful process of of connection and something almost bigger than me. And so, yeah, that's how the book came to be really. That is pretty damn incredible. And the fact that (laughs) it just kind of, you just kind of puked on the paper. It just kind of came out like, (laughs) it just came out. Yeah. I think that's amazing that it just flowed through you like that. And, And the process was easier because when you think about writing a book. Oh my God, what a daunting task. Like that is daunting. Yeah. It's overwhelming. So the fact that it just came out so easily, I think that's amazing. Yeah. It's I I can share this really cool story. I actually had a candle from my mom's funeral, this big orange candle. And and the first time I sat to write, I lit it and I said, Mm -hmm. okay, mom, you know, cause she was my greatest teacher. She taught me every, she was really, she was a corporate executive, but she would go to India on these pilgrimages. And she was so incredibly spiritual. And I just said, just any message you want the world to hear, just work through me, like use yeah. me as a vessel kind of thing. And every time I would write, I would light that candle and light that candle every time, you know, for the whole nine weeks, I was like, and no word of a lie. The last paragraph, I was writing the, the conclusion and the yeah. last paragraph, the candle goes out. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. Mama knew your work was done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She really, yeah. So beautiful process. 
Absolutely. Why did you decide to go the co-author route instead of taking it all on yourself? I'm curious. It's just the way they approached us. And Kate and I had been doing the workshops together. And so they just said, you know, would you both be willing to, you know, neither of us wanted to say like, I'm going to take it or I'm going to take it. It was just a collaborative, you know, process. Yeah. So with that in mind, being a joint project or collaborative project, can you share a little bit about how the writing process worked then? And what was the end goal or overall intention for the book then? Yeah, we use Google Docs. I actually probably saw Kate twice the whole oh, wow. time we wrote and edited the book because I'm kind of north of Toronto, she's in Toronto. And we had an entire outline that we had to submit and get approved from our publisher. So we knew all of the, the book is filled with 120 tips on how to find more peace and happiness in the everyday. So we literally would go chapter by chapter and we split the tips she would write some, I would write some, and then we'd edit each other's stuff, review each other's stuff, get to a good place and submit it to the, the publisher. And then it was about four months of ruling editing process once we submitted the final manuscript. But it just, again, it flowed and, you know, we, we worked really well together and just kind of knew where each other's strengths were and kind of leaned in on that. Okay. So what is it that differentiates or sets your book apart from all the other wellness and mindfulness books in the bookstores? You know, from what I hear, Brad, is that it's practical. You know, there's other self-help spiritual books out there, but they're very kind of conceptual. And so A, I think it's practical. B, it's one of the only, you know, unfiltered, meaning square books. Yep on mindfulness meditation and B it's written it's an easy read there's 120 tips and each tip is two to three pages and so I think people feel very accomplished because they can go to bed at night read a tip and then you can literally read a tip and contemplate on that for a week and try to implement it into your own life and so I always tell people there's no pressure to I mean it's great if you read cover to cover but sometimes people just you know, it's on their nightstand, they open the book to a random page, and that's the tip that they're meant to read. And, right. you know, so I just think it's it's an easy read. It's fun. It's practical. It's got this, the language is, you know, the swearing, <laughs> you know, but yeah, I think the practicality is kind of what what differentiates it because both Kate and I came from corporate world. And right. so we, we try to make it very, you know, in the day to day, when you're feeling the anxiety bubble up, when you're feeling the stress bubble up, when you're in the grocery store, this is what you do. When you're faced with this challenge, this is what you can do. <laughs> you know, so it really, I, that's what I've heard and, and why people have an affinity towards it. It's relatable. It's raw. It's real. Exactly. And that's what people yeah. resonate with. Yeah. And we talk about our own stories. I talk about, you know, losing my dad, my brother, and the forgiveness chapter opens yeah. with me talking about the journey to forgive my dad after yeah. what he did. And so it's very intimate as well. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, it's not always easy to be vulnerable, but I feel like the, the more vulnerable I am, the more I can help impact. And so I'm willing to to put myself out there. And so I think that also plays a role as well. Can you share with us, let's say your top three tips from the book for mindfulness, in your opinion, that people could start implementing now after they've listened to this episode? The top three tips. For you, like you, for what you personally think uh, out of the book. Okay. So I would say, so I'm just going to preface by saying the reason why it's let that shit go is because ancient wisdom talks about how our true nature is happiness and bliss and joy and love. If you think of yourself as a toddler, as an infant, you were inherently happy. So our true nature is bliss. And what's happened in tweenhood, teenhood, adulthood is we've built up 
all this shit along the way of accessing that. So when people talk about, oh, I'm on this journey to find peace, I'm on this journey to find happiness, I always say it's not a journey, it's already there. It's a process of undoing yeah. all the shit in the way, right? It's, and, you know, one of the monks I studied under used the example of the, you know, if you think of the sun on a really cloudy day, it's really gloomy outside, there's puddles, you have ac- no access to the sun's rays. The sun is still there. Yeah. It's just hidden, right? So in that same way, our true nature is always going to be love and bliss and joy. And that's why when we feel those things, we feel so good. We're being true to who we are, but there's so much shit in the way. And so the three things I would say, one is, you know, the awareness of the obstacles that are in the way of us accessing that happiness. You know, what, what is preventing, what are those clouds in the way? And every chapter is basically a different cloud, if you will. So, you know, whether it's lack of self-love you know, not being true to yourself or being authentic, you know, maybe you have to forgive and let go accepting things you can't control, you know, every chapter kind of focuses on a different obstacle. So with mindfulness, it's really about awareness. So I'd say that's the biggest thing is, you know, we think on average 70,000 thoughts a day, and we're aware of less than 1% of them, you know, and our mind takes us on all these rides. So the first thing I would say is just awareness of what's going on in the mind and having those moments to pause. The second for me personally, it's the last chapter and we very much pitch it as, you know, read this, if this is for you, if it's not, it's okay, but it's meditation. And, you know, meditation, I always say is like going to the gym for your mind. We have so much emphasis on our bodies, what we wear, what we look like our hair. And that's, you know, that's important. And that plays a role diet, like everything in society is body, body, body. But how often do you pause to understand what's going on in the mind? And, you know, that's what meditation does is it allows you to to really focus on what's going on in there and what are your thought patterns like and you know what are you triggered by because meditation people think you sit there and you're just zen and quiet all the time uh-uh, yeah. it doesn't work that way it's sometimes when your most deepest darkest scariest thoughts actually come to surface because you're quiet for a minute yeah. right so the, the art of meditation is a big one and then also for me I think it's a mix between I was a chronic people pleaser and you know d- dealt with a lot of self-doubt and I realize now post-trauma therapy that a lot of it is from walking eggshells around my dad and learning to sit in my own discomfort to make sure he was comfortable and okay. And so I learned that skill. And so I think with the process of self-love and the tips in the book, and also the chapter on authenticity of stepping into your power, stepping into yourself, speaking your truth, you know, those are other massive clouds that were in the way of me accessing my happiness and being more mindful in the day-to-day. So I'd say those three things probably what resonates with me the most. I love the cloud analogy. I think that's amazing because once those clouds lift and clear, you have that clarity and you can see again and, you know, you can see the sun again. I think that's amazing. I love it. Thanks. It's one of my first slides in all of my corporate workshops that, you know, your true nature is happy. So we just got to find that again. And I think I loved it too. And I, as soon as I heard the monk use that analogy, I thought this is just beautiful. Um, And it's so true. So having gone through all of these personal struggles with stress, mindfulness, wellness, and of course, mindset, can you speak to how important a part mindset and mindfulness played in helping you through your struggles and just how important mindset is to our daily routines and our successes? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's everything, you know, everything starts and ends with the mind. And, you know, my favorite quote, when I lost my dad and brother was life is 10% what you make it, but 90% how you take it. And Mm -hmm. there's always going to be shit thrown at us. You know, the monks in in California to say the hurricane's going to forever swirl. But if you can stay in the center and just observe 
you know, versus getting enthralled. It's like life is always going to throw shit at you, whether it's health stuff or people, you know, losing people or your own struggles. And if you can react to it, literally things you can't control, you know, if you can react to it in a way using a positive mindset that, you know, is understanding, it's compassionate. That's not to say to not feel emotion, because as I said, I suppressed for a long time and that was not good either. I kind of used a lot of toxic positivity for myself and spiritual bypassing. And now I look back and think that wasn't good either. So it's important to sit in the emotion as well and, and feel what you need to feel. But at the end of the day, know that your mind is powerful. Your mind can dictate, you know, what goes on in your body. It can dictate, you know, how your day goes, your future, what you manifest and anticipate I mean so much is you know happens in our minds and our hearts and so if we can connect to that and realize that you know our true nature is happiness and lean into that through the mind through being aware of our thoughts and mitigating all the stressful ones and working through them I mean that's everything for me (laughs) well the mind is such an incredibly powerful thing and we don't even use a tenth of it Mm -hmm. It, it's phenomenal Yeah. yeah wow Nina, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? Oh my gosh, I haven't even thought about that. What is my superpower that has helped me become successful? <laughs> I think just leaning <laughs> leaning into what I meant to do. And again, we were talking about this offline. You know, even though there's billions of people on this planet, I think everybody has a purpose. Everybody has a reason to be here. You know, we're not robots. We're not meant for conformity. And, you know, even if you're working a a corporate job, I'm not saying, you know, you can't be true to yourself. But even if you do passions or you do a side hustle, how you show up in that corporate job, you know, we all have a purpose. And I think, you know, my, my superpower in recent years has just been honoring what I am here and meant to do at all costs kind of thing. And just really leaning into my authentic self versus trying to be, you know, someone that society, the pressure society puts on us to be that kind of a certain someone stepping out of that and really asking myself, you know, what am I here to do? What am I meant to do? And I think taking the risks along the way, like leaving corporate, selling my house, leaving all that money on the table, like my salary and moving and living in an ashram for a year, you know, the the losses in my life have have encouraged me to take those kind of life risks. And it was risky and it was challenging. It wasn't all smooth, but now it is basically what gives me permission to do what I do. Right. So just leading into really asking the question, what am I meant to do and listening and, you know, living that versus listening to to society. Cause everyone thought I was crazy at the time. Like you're doing what? Of course, (laughs) there's always going to be those naysayers and negative Nellies and haters and all of that stuff. You're going to face that no matter what. Yeah. And if I can just share this, this will come full circle from the beginning of our conversation. If people wait till retirement, So my mom worked for one of the big banks in Canada. She was an IT executive and she had one more year to retire. She had 25 years and she had one more year to retire. And this course in California came up and it was actually her that said, I'm going like this course came up, I'm going. And so most people would just be like, I'm going to finish my 25th year and retire. And then I'm going to do this course, but not her. And funny enough, she finished the course and she, you know, within months she was diagnosed with ALS. And I thought, wow, you could have spent your last year of life, healthy life, working your last 25th year for the same company, or you could have been in the Redwoods and done this incredible course with your daughter. And, you know, my, my husband was there too. 
And so, you know, with my partner and my mom, and it was just, that was her last year of being healthy. And she, she didn't wait till she retired, you know? So I think in terms of superpowers, she had that too. She just did what she like on a whim, what she wanted to do in the moment because life yeah. is not guaranteed. Right. And I think that's a really, really incredible place to live from a risky place sometimes, yeah, but incredible sure. place. But without risk, there's no reward. Exactly. Exactly. I think it's an incredible superpower. I love it. <laughs> Thanks. Speaking of success, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you? Oh, that's such a great question. And to me, I think that's the problem in society is we don't define success by our own definitions. We define success by societal definitions, yeah. money, you know, position, power, status. And it, the success to me is when you can define it by your own definition of success. And maybe you're making a quarter of the salary you're making, but you're happy, you know? And if that success to you is just to be happy, which I think is everybody's goal at the end of the day, then, you know, to be that, that is success when people are able to define it by themselves, for themselves, not considering, you know, society or what anyone else deems as success. I love it. Beautiful definition. Thanks. Nina, what would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? Yeah, I think we kind of touched on this. And that is, you know, I'd say my biggest massive first lesson in life is when I lost my dad and my brother. And, you know, my dad actually, it was premeditated, and he had planned to, to take me as well. And there's this beautiful story in the book about how by sheer coincidence, you know, I, I was out of the house. And can I just, can I just that, interrupt for one second, say something? Yeah. I don't believe in coincidences. There are no coincidences. Right. right. There are no coincidences. I, Sorry, I didn't that. mean to interrupt, but... <laughs> No, you're you're right. I mean, I was meant to obviously to live, right? It was just how it was meant to be. And, you know, so not only losing them, but also feeling like, oh my gosh, I, I could have gone too. I think, you know, everything changed from that point. And, you know, the big change is just, again, how fleeting life can be, how fleeting, how one day you're here, one day I'm sharing a bowl of spaghetti with my brother and the next day he's gone. And so just living life from that place. And then I think, I think I kind of, you know, went into my career and kind of lost track of that a bit. And then when my mom got diagnosed and died, that's actually when I started my business, I took two years off to forgive my dad. And yeah. then I started my business because that process of death again, reminded me, it's like, oh my God, she had plans, you know, to travel everywhere, even though she traveled, you know, still while she was working, she really sees the day, but it's like, wow, if I died tomorrow, you know, what would I want to be doing? And I think that's how everything changed, you know, from that moment at, at 16. Yeah. Such a huge monumental thing to take at that young age. I just, I can't even imagine, honestly, my heart breaks for you for having to go through that and deal with all that at such a young age. I mean, it's shitty to have to deal with at any age. It doesn't matter what age it is, but at that young age, it's just horrific. Oh, it fucked me up and it still, it still oh. does. I'm still in therapy. I just finished a 20 week trauma therapy program because I saw the crime scene, you know, after, after the bodies were taken, but I saw the crime scene and it was, oh, it, it was like a movie. It yeah. honestly was like a movie. And so yeah, thank you. I, I I appreciate that. It's you know, it's it's a lot, and I still struggle with it. Even though I, you know, I preach mindfulness, and I I try to be really vulnerable too with myself. That I have days where I'm just lost in the trauma, and it's yeah. really really hard. 
but yeah, I, I appreciate it. I just, I couldn't process it all at 16. So I'm actually processing a lot now, yeah, <laughs> you know, in no my late thirties and early forties. Nina, what do you feel most grateful for in your life? Oh, so many things. I mean, I feel like there's layers to gratitude. So, you know, food, shelter, water. I mean, the way we live in North America, we live in the top, you know, 1% of the world. I think about that daily. I think about my health, seeing my mom deteriorate that I can feed myself and get myself to the bathroom and take a shot, you know, so many little things like that. Um, I'm grateful for my, my husband and my daughter, you know, my family that I have now. And I'm super grateful. I mean, if you talk about the day-to-day gratitude that I do what I get to do what I love, like I am just over the moon (laughs) grateful. I think about that every single day, like work does not feel like work anymore. I absolutely love what I do. And even now this kid stuff, I mean, I've been putting out there for the last two years, you know, I really want to work with kids. And, and, you know, now that so much came to fruition in the last six months, I mean, I'm just so grateful that I'm, you know, in tune with what I'm meant to do because you know, it's been a complete game changer for me. Yeah. What is your personal motto? Let that shit go. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I haven't really thought about my personal motto, but I would say, yeah, in recent years. And again, it's a fun and sexy book title, but it's not an easy process. You need to allow shit to come to surface before you can even let it go. And sometimes that process of letting it come to surface is painful and it's hurtful. And we have to open new wounds and we have to go there and we have to do the therapy. But you know, the more and more I've been able to let go, the more and more I've been able to be on this path and be present and be mindful. And so I think, you know, the more we can acknowledge what those obstacles are, the more peace we're going to feel, you know, on the, in, in the everyday. That is hard work. And a lot of the time people don't want to look within. They don't want to do that hard work because it's so tough and because it's uncovering layers of shit that has been there for years, oh, you know, it, it's a tough process it. and it's a continual journey. You don't ever get to the destination. I don't think this is something that has to be worked on daily and it's constant. Exactly. It is. It's a journey. Like I said, I, you know, you're bang on. It's not a destination. It's it's absolutely a journey and I'm still on it. I'm still healing. I'm still working through stuff like that. And it's been 20, it's going to be 25 years this year, you know? So it's a process, but again, the more we can more heaviness we can, you know, move through. I think there's just more space for the good stuff to come in, but it's a process and it's not an easy one. Okay. We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be two, three, four word answer type thing. Okay. Okay. What was your dream job as a child? To spread ancient wisdom at 16, um, to spread ancient wisdom. If you're writing your autobiography, what would the title be? Climbing the Everest within. How would you describe yourself in one word? At peace. What would your family and friends list as a couple of your best characteristics? That I am authentic. I'm fun. I'm, you know, silly. I appreciate life and probably that I'm a good listener. If you could teach the world one thing, what would that one thing be? That their true nature is happiness. We all have it within us to be happy. Just got to clear the clouds. Just got to clear those fucking clouds. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> what is one thing you want, but cannot buy with money? Happiness. Happiness. If you could change one thing about the world, what would you change? Oh gosh, so many things. Compassion and vulnerability. I think we're all compassionate. We're all vulnerable and we all honored who we were. 
like we talked about offline, yeah. everyone doing what they're meant to do and what they love, it would be a completely different world. What is one of your favorite quotes? You, it's, I'm not going to, I'm going to butcher this. It's by Rupi Kaur, but you do not just become a butterfly overnight. It's a process. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> Nina, <was> fun. <laughs> Nina, who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? Oh, with undoubtedly my mom. You know, she, again, she was just my hero, my inspiration. I mean, to lose now being a mother, I don't know how she lost a son. And, and so tragically, she also dealt with a abusive husband for 22 years. She, after many years of abuse, served him very unexpectedly with divorce papers and mm-hmm. six months after this incident happened. And so her strength, her grit, her positivity, despite, I mean, just she's just she was such an incredible human just just such a big void in my life now to not have her but by far my biggest inspiration she sounds like she was an incredible woman Mm -hmm. she really was what does the word empowerment mean to you empowerment means to me to own who you are to feel empowered in who you are to feel comfortable in your skin to speak your truth um to always feel like you can be who you're meant to be for me empowerment means that you know you're authentically living your life for you and not anybody else because we lose our power when we start to conform to society you know we start to lose ourselves and we lose our power What does the best version of you look like when you close your eyes and imagine it? The best version of me is someone who is, you know, healed. And uh, like I said, it's a journey, but healing is peaceful, is, you know, true to who I am, is compassionate with myself, is forgiving with the people around me and for forgiving for myself, you know, and is just a peaceful, happy contributor to society. Nina, if you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? This is so cliche, but I'm going to say Oprah. (laughs) I knew it. I knew it. Actually, you know what? No, I shouldn't say that. That was my second thought. I thought you were going to say your mom, actually. Well, I mean, I already already talked to her in meditation, so she's already there. But I mean, I didn't know I could, I didn't know I could, you know, flood the gates of the other side for this question. Otherwise, I would have said her. But, you know, of course, you know, Oprah is just, she's done so much for spirituality in, in mainstream. And I think she's just one of the wisest. I mean, she's like the our generation, Maya Angelou, right? She just is such an incredible soul. And I would, you know, everything that comes out of her mouth, I, I listened to her podcast and just, you know, I, you know, watched her show and just, especially in the last decade or so, she's an advocate. I just finished reading her book, What Happened yeah. to You by her and, and Dr. Bruce Perry on childhood trauma. I mean, there's just so much about her life that I feel like I could, and her wisdom that I feel like I could lean into. Yeah. Nina, what is your why? My why is why I do what I do is it's because so many people are struggling. And especially since the pandemic, the mental health piece for youth and adults has been completely overwhelming. And why I do what I do, and I said this earlier, is to just give people hope that you can go through dark, you can go through adversity, you can go through tragedy, and you can still find your purpose, do what you love. And, you know, at the end of the day, find peace and happiness. You don't have to end up in a dark hole. It's not easy. It's not a, 
an easy path by any means and you will feel that darkness on and off but you know why I do what I do is to give people hope that you can get through anything and still come out you know as light and love well as they say nothing worth having is easy comes with it doesn't come without a fight right exactly unfortunately enough yeah very true yeah if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice what would that piece of advice be that everything's going to be okay. I was very lost, you know, grew up in witness to a lot of dark and heavy things, uh, you know, with my parents' marriage yeah. and then, you know, leading up to this big tragedy. And so I was a very lost child, even post-event, always feeling down or not okay. And, you know, I would go back and say, you know, you'll find your way and there's going to be more tragedy and there's going to be, you know, the, the hurricane is going to still swirl, but you are going to find your peace or your moments of peace even throughout it all. Beautiful. You're not going to end up in a, in a dark hole, but you know, <laughs> yeah. I've contemplated many times. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. If you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, like your, your corner of the world, your tribe, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What would you say? What words of wisdom would you impart? I would say that we never know when this time is coming. So it's so incredibly important to do what you love, to honor you, to live life to the fullest, to take risks. You know, this is all the stuff my mom in her on her deathbed, you know, said to me and, and, and taught me. It's just, you know, be true to who you are and at the end of the day, you know, don't take life so seriously, just enjoy it. we're here to be happy. We're here to live. We're here to thrive. And sometimes we put so much importance on the wrong thing um, because we lose sight of our mortality and we take it for granted. And so, you know, just live life every day as you would be your last. Beautiful. So well said. Nina, thank Thank you so very much for being so vulnerable and sharing that part of your story, that part of your life, you are an incredibly resilient, beautiful soul, woman, human. Your story is so incredibly inspirational. Your journey is inspirational. You are incredible. Truly, I am so honored and happy to have had this time to sit down with you and speak with you. I've enjoyed every minute of this conversation and I am just so grateful and thankful and appreciative of you. And I'm honored to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. Oh, well, thank you so much, Brad. And it's such an honor to be part of the community. And I loved your questions. I mean, wow, did you ever do your homework? (laughs) because I do a lot of podcast interviews. And so this was just really special. And I think we just had a good vibe going on. And I really appreciate you, you know, asking me the questions that really matter. And that made me really, really reflect. I'm happy to be to be vulnerable. But, uh, you know, again, really honored to be here. And thank you so much for thinking of me. My pleasure and my honor. Once again, my name is Brad Welsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Nina Purewall. She is the founder and owner of Pure Minds, as well as a best, an international best-selling author of the book, Let That Shit Go. Thank you so much, Nina. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you, Brad, and you as well. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. 
Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.